0: Good morning. I feel like I start off all my sermons just like that, like every single one. Good morning, same tone and everything. Um, one more announcement uh, before I jump right into it um, tonight at five. Uh, I think I sent out an announcement. It said five thirty, but we're going to start at five to seven. We're doing a small group for the youth, uh, parents, youth, parents. Get your youth here. Youth, if you are able to drive, come. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, Layla Kirksey is going to be ministering to the girls while I'll be ministering to the guys about what it means to be a man and woman of God. Uh, We're going to split up and get to have a good discussion. It's going to be food. It's going to be worship. It's going to be a really good time. So make sure you're there. Look forward to seeing you there. I'm excited about that. And uh, yeah, so um, while I was in worship, God just kind of reminded me of this passage of Scripture. Uh, It's Jesus, and there's this boy his father uh is talking to jesus and he's like my son he's uh he's been possessed by this spirit this spirit that's demonic spirit and um and jesus is he has in this conversation with jesus and jesus says if you can said jesus everything is possible for one who believes immediately the boy's father exclaimed i do believe help me overcome my unbelief and that's kind of an oxymoron right like i do believe but help me where i don't believe Like, I do have faith that God's going to do this thing, but help me where I don't have faith that God's going to do this thing. And what comes next is Jesus heals his son. So, even though in situations you might be in a spot where you don't fully understand or believe that God's going to do it, there's grace and God does it anyways because that's how good he is. Because the name of Jesus is one of those names that it doesn't matter the situation, it's more powerful than the situation And so he's what this is one thing that I pray all the time because I'm such a worrier about everything. I'm just anxious. I'm I'm scared. I uh, and so with school, with friends, with all these things, I'm constantly worrying that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing or I'm that I'm going to fail or that I'm going to mess up. And so I'm constantly praying, God, I believe in you, but there's a lot of me in me. So help me where I'm already trying to do it myself. Like, I believe that you're going to do it, God, but already help me where there's parts of me that don't haven't lined up with what I already want you to do. And so I think that's just the most humbling exemplification of what humanity is. God, we believe you're going to do it, but there's a lot of us that's still human and still flesh. Help us with that part. Help us where our mind doesn't line up, where our where our flesh wants to take in control of the spiritual aspect of who you are. And what I really want to kind of touch on today and i'm sorry my sermon might be all over the place uh mainly because i've been all over the place uh it's been it's been a hectic few few weeks and um but it's been good god's been doing a lot of good things he's been faithful he's been providing he's been who he has always been um and it's crazy, he went to Phoenix with me. I thought I was going to leave him when I left here. I thought he was going to stick back in Camden with you guys because y'all are some pretty awesome people. But luckily, he went with me. He meets me when I'm crying in my dorm room at night when I get an assignment that I didn't know I had or something. So he, he's been a good God. Um, what I want to talk to you guys about today is image bearing, about being the ones that take on the image of the righteous God and bearing that to the world. Um, I've been in Phoenix. It's extremely hot there. Extremely hot there. People kind of like try to prepare me. They're like, yeah, it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot. I'm like, I'll be fine. I get there and I'm like, holy heck, like what the mess? I'm carrying like water bottles around with me everywhere and like chugging them. And it's, it's intense. Uh, it's finally starting to cool down mainly because I think I prayed for it so many times. Um, and so now I'm back here, and now it's cold, and I love it. It's great. I'm glad to be back home. I can finally wear jackets, and I'm like, yes, this is, this is what I wanted to be back, be back home. And I wanted to be back home, not only for that reason, but to talk to you guys about what God's been talking to me. Uh, speaking of names, the name of Jesus is just powerful, right? Jesus, Savior, Elohim, Yeshua, Adonai, all these names that we that we speak that have claim and power over the principalities in the world of darkness, right? Speaking of names, I'm really bad with names. So if I ever I felt convicted about this because I forget people's names all the time. Even people that I've been raised with and they'll come to me and they'll talk to me. And I'm just trying to remember their name for the likes of me. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's either Deborah or Debbie or Claire. Like, I'm just trying to go through all the names. So if I forget your name, know that it is not in the manner of I don't love you or care about you. I'm just really bad with names. And I've, I've been wanting to say that every single time I've preached, that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just apologize because I feel bad every time. Um, all right. So now to jump into it, image bearing. So if you go to Genesis one twenty seven, the scripture says, so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. So God in the beginning already had a design. He already set you apart from all of the creation. He created the animals, the sun, the seas, all these things. And he said, but I want to do something different with this humanity that I'm going to create. I'm going to create them in my image. I'm going to create them in my likeness. I'm going to create them not to be me, but to reflect how good I am and how amazing I am and how loving I am and how passionate I am. That's what God did. So when there's 7.6 billion people in the world, that's not 7.6 billion people. That's 7.6 billion mirrors, reflectors, sculptures of how good and how great God is and how merciful he is. So you were created to bear the image of a living God, a creator, a good God, a loving father. I saw this study once, and the study kind of went into the probability of human existence, of you existing, of me existing, of existing with our flaws, with our hair, with our eyes, with, with all the things, with our parents, with our siblings. It's all these probabilities going into us existing today, and this scientist guy with a weird name, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it said, imagine there was one life preserver thrown somewhere in some ocean and there was exactly one turtle in all of the ocean swimming underwater somewhere. The probability that you came about and exist today is the same as that turtle sticking its head out of the water in the middle of that life preserver on one try. And so he goes through all these calculations and he basically says the odds of you being alive are basically zero. So the odds of you being alive, who you are, where you are, the way you are with all the attributes of yourself is basically zero. So that leads me to believe there's extreme purpose in you being alive. There's extreme purpose in you being the, the name you were given, the family you were put in. There's absolutely no possible way. Some people could look at it as a mistake or a, a mishappening. I look at it as a miracle that God wanted you here today to be exactly where you are here today. So you are purposed by God. Jeremiah 1 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So God knows you even before your parents even have a thought about you. So whether your parents think of you, if, if someone has said you're a mistake, if someone's friend has said that you, you should never have been here, all these things that people lie, then what the media is saying, I want you to know right now that God never claims that. God says, no, there's purpose before you. Even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I wanted you. I needed you. I had a plan. I had a destiny. And I want you to fulfill that destiny. And that main destiny that God has established you to have is to bear the image of a creator. And so you have purpose and you have all these things that God has placed before you. So you have gifts, you have, you have talents, you have all these things you can sing. I can, but you can do all these things that God has adorned you. But the thing is, is if you miss out on the first thing, if you miss out on the main thing, if you miss out on, I'm a reflection of God, then you're going to be reflecting something else because you're reflecting something. You're reflecting something. Every conversation you have with somebody, you're reflecting something. Everywhere, every place you go into, when you walk into Walmart, you're reflecting someone. You're reflecting something, whether that be pride, whether that be anger, whether that be, be mistreatment, whether that be abuse, whatever that may be, you're reflecting something because God created us to reflect someone. God created us, meticulously planned us to reflect someone. And so that main purpose that we are created to be in is to worship him and bring glory and honor to his name. So what does this mean? What does the scripture say about this? Uh, I kind of divided it into three points. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to make it easy on you. I'm going to give you the three points ahead and then we're going to dive into them each separately. So the first point is we are separated. So we are separated. That's kind of the, the downing point, the sad point. But that's the point that all the other grace stories kind of base itself upon. We are separated from who God originally created us and designed us to be or from the fall. And that's the whole p- uh, purpose of Jesus in the New Testament, all these things. So we are separated. Secondly, we are restored. We're restored. It's the, the mercy story. We are restored back to the redemption of Christ. And thirdly, we are called to love and be loved. So we are called to love and be loved. So jumping right into the first one to we are separated. Now everybody knows the story of the fall and the fall separated us from the original design that God had for us. And the whole Bible, everything in this book is a rescue story of God chasing us down. Miracle battles, prophets, all these things fall into the alignment of the story that God wants us, that God wants you that God's willing to send his son to sacrifice himself just so that he could have a relationship with you. And so in the story of the fall, if you take notice what the serpent does when he comes is he doesn't try to allocate pride or allocate whatever it may be. He doesn't try to like, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't eat this fruit. He doesn't try to scare them. He doesn't try to do anything like that. What he says is if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You will be one with God. You will be on the level of God. And that in and of itself completely laughs in the face of the entire purpose of creation. Because the purpose of creation was never to be an equivalent of God, but to reflect the creator. So that's what the serpent did is he twisted that. He said you were never supposed to be a reflection of a good creator. You were supposed to be on equal level of the creator. And the only reason God has you here is because he's prideful, he's arrogant, and he misconstrued the perception of God in Adam and Eve's eyes. And that's what a lot of media and a lot of and a lot of false prophets and a lot of things do they misconstrue the conception of god because if you look at creation and when god speaks it is good he is not speaking it is good because he's finally placed something under himself he's saying it is good because he has made something to reflect how good he is so you are good not because of your position you are good because you reflect something that has position over everything because god is so good that he created you to reflect that goodness and so that's what the fall was. It was a misconception and a, an a understanding that we should never be on equal level with God, because when we are, everything goes wrong. And God knows that. And so he misconstrued the perception of God. And so what I want to base off of today is a story in the Bible. I'm going to talk on it for a little bit. Um, in Exodus 3, everybody uh, knows this story. Everybody knows who Moses is. Um... Everywhere I've gone, every church I've gone to, every small group, they kind of talk on Exodus. And uh, everybody's reading Exodus. I don't know why. I mean, there's got to be something in there. So I've just been reading it myself like, okay, God, what's in Exodus? I'm like, why is that period there? Why is the, before, not... Like, I'm just studying this thing, everything. Like, I want to know why everybody's in Exodus. And you know, the main reason I think everybody's in Exodus and everybody's talking about Exodus, especially for me, is because we need to understand we need to fear God. I think we've got too comfortable a little bit with God's position and God's grace when we, and then we kind of put to the side God's divinity. We like the relational part, but we don't have the reverence part. And so Exodus is kind of this mapped out image of God completely exemplifying his reverence and why they should fear him. Not because he's scary, but because I'm so afraid to not go on the plan of God because he's been so good to me. And so in Exodus three, it's a uh, Moses and he's he's a. Uh, a shepherd and Midian. he's ran away from Exodus. He's been there for years. He's working under his father and uh, father-in-law Jethro and all these things. He's married. He's got a decent life and all this stuff. And so, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Moses is just out there doing his normal thing and he sees a burning bush. He sees a burning bush and that's pretty crazy. I've seen a lot of things in my life, 19 years. And, uh, <laughs> Never seen a burning bush. I've seen, well, I've seen a burning bush, but not this kind of burning bush. I've seen a bush, you know, go up in flames and engulf. This one wasn't even burning itself. It wasn't de- being devoured by the flames. It was just burning. And so Moses is like, what in the world? Like, that's crazy. And so he's looking at it and then he decides to go up to it. Right? And it said, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied. And one thing you can take note of right here is that when Moses sees the power of God, he doesn't stay back from it. And God doesn't call him to it. God doesn't say, Moses, Moses, come to the burning bush. Look, it's pretty cool. Come on. You're like, come here. Woo. You know, he's not doing any of that. Like all he does is show and signify his power. And then Moses has the choice to either come like I'm sure in that moment there could have been a decision like, I either want to check that out or, oh my gosh, this is not supposed to be happening. I'm going to run the other way. So God waited for Moses to respond and then he called him by his name. So sometimes God waits for a response for us before he will then actually call us to the position that he wants us in. And so Moses finally comes, starts walking up and God's like, Moses, Moses, and Moses replies, here I am. And so now God begins to signify and explain who He is. And He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's basically saying, I have been. There was never a moment where I was not in existence. I am God. I am the creator of everything. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites. It's like a rap. And Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel had reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested, idiot, to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So God's like, I basically always have been. I've heard your cries. I'm going to do an amazing thing. And Moses is like, God, you, you got it wrong. Like, I know you've been doing everything up till this point since the end, beginning of time. But right now, I think me, a shepherd guy, have a position to tell you you're wrong. And so he does. He says, no, I'm God. And he's like, I'm not who you say I am. I'm not the person that you've called me to be. I'm not able to do this. But just like Uncle Stephen said, it's not about your capability, but about your availability to let God do it. So it's not about your position. It's not about what family you come from. If God's calling you to something, know that God's able to do it exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask, hope or imagine. And so God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So this is this back and forth between Moses and God. Moses is like, I'm not capable. God's like, you don't have to be capable. I'm going to do it. And it's this back and forth of Moses struggling with his with his insignificance and God's over-significance. And God's abundance of power. And Moses looking at himself as infinite, but God's saying you don't, I mean, as finite. And God's like, you don't have to be anything except available for me to use you. Because sometimes we can't wrap our head around that. We think about our finitude and not God's infiniteness. And we've kind of small or lessened God in the church to be able to understand him. And sometimes you don't have to understand God. You just have to know that God's good. Because, like... I had these conversations a lot with people at my college and it's like, okay, well, what do you think about, uh, predestination and, and the elect or, you know, speaking in tongues and I'll give them some answer that I've, you know, tried to understand the spirit, but it comes down to, I don't know. All I know is that God is good, that the scriptures say this, and that we're going to the same place. So I'm not going to argue with you. And so sometimes we don't have to put our human mind to an infinite supernatural God. We just have to trust in him. And so Moses is back and forth and he finally comes to terms that I'm going to trust God and God completely goes in above and beyond, frees Israel, all these things. And so the parting of the Red Sea was simply a man reflecting a powerful God. Nothing Moses could do could ever part that sea there was no amount of buckets in the world to do what he was about to do the only reason the only difference that stick and that man was that powerful was because he had a powerful god standing behind him so what is exodus 3 saying exodus 3 is basically saying it is not about us it is not about us it's not about how good we can be, how big we are. It's not about how handsome we are, beautiful we are. It's not about any of those things. It's about God. This book is about God. Church is about God. Relationship with others is about God. Your relationship with your spouse is about God. Everything we do and reflect in this earth is about God, or at least it should be. It should be. And so if you want to think about the most Perfect example of an image bearer. Think about Jesus. Think about the life Jesus led. God came down to earth 100% man and 100% God and said, I'm going to exemplify what an image bearer is supposed to be. And see, who comes down in every conversation he's in, he reflects God. Every miracle he does, he reflects God. Every time somebody comes into him and and bashes him and tries to get into his head and tries to do all these things, he always turns it to God. He reflects him. He, He bears the image of what it means to be perfectly surrendered to God. And even in his last moments being hung on a cross, bruised, beaten, stripped of clothes, everything not going the way that we would think this person is a winner. He looked like a loser up there. Spit on His clothes were uh, were gambled for. Everything was going wrong, but even on the cross, he reflected God. So you can be in a situation where everything looks like it's going wrong. Everything is not panning out. Everything is going the opposite way that you think it should go. But you can still reflect God. Because if you're not reflecting God, you're reflecting something else. And so Jesus in Colossians 1 15, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So just because you don't see God moving doesn't mean you can't reflect God moving. So that leads us right into our second point is we are redeemed. We are redeemed. Now that's good news. We're not separated anymore. Jesus came. He resurrected. Now we are in communion. The veil was torn and we're in relationship with God. That is powerful. That is good. That's exciting. That should be something we get up every morning with a smile on our face, rejoicing. And 2 Corinthians 2.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So... One translation says, We are being renewed into his image. So we were separated, but through his spirit, we are constantly being renewed to come back to that original creation. And that was the whole plan. It says, Jesus said, It is better for me to go so that I can send the advocate in my place. Jesus knew that we needed the spirit as that renewal, as that cleanser, as that purifier, as that blood toned stain that now we are then brought into relation with God once again. So we are being renewed. In his image, renewed to that original creation. So the Lord, through his spirit, is redeeming us to him. And Exodus goes, if you read on in Exodus, uh, and I mentioned this in the earlier service, I'm reading through Exodus right now, and it's really good up to a certain point to where you get into all the nitty-gritty details of what it took to build the Ark of the Covenant and all these things, and it's like, we use 3,000 square units of acacia wood, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is brutal. I'm reading it late at night and it's like going through 3.5 and all, and all these like different minerals and and all this stuff. And I'm like this, I'm trying to get the wisdom out of it. So be praying for me that I do that, uh, and get through it. Um, and so I'm reading all this and it's all these regulations. It's all these things. It's all these rituals and, 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 all these things that they, God's saying you have to do this in order to be in some way purified or redeemed back to your original point. But all of it is so futile. And it doesn't really work, and they mess it up, and it's all this just crazy stuff. But there was a moment where all barriers were broken in history. And where the words, it is finished, started something new. And an empty tomb filled with nothing completely now fills us with everything we could ever need. You see, having in the church in... And studying the church and going to these different churches and then looking around and seeing how the the children of God are operating, I've realized something that I feel like I know for myself and a lot of others have gotten off track. Because you see, in church, having the image or persona of Christianity has somehow become more important than being the image of God. So... Exemplifying in some way that you're Christian has become more powerful and more important than actually being Christian in and of itself, living it out and exemplifying God. And so I, this, the fundamental thing that you just got to ask yourself when thinking about redemption, when thinking about being redeemed is, what are you doing with your redemption? What are you doing with our redemption church? What are we doing to bear the image of God? Does it Get us up in the morning and excite us so much that we can't help but say Jesus to everybody we meet. Does it break us down in tears when we sit up here and worship, knowing that we could never in ourselves redeem ourselves or be worthy enough for God, yet he gave everything so that we could be. Everything. This entire book is him about saying, I want you so much that I'm willing to pursue you, to chase you down, to leave the 99 for you. What are we doing with our redemption? When I was brought into my family, when I was born and given a last name and given siblings and parents and all these things, I was given a heritage. And now my parents don't even have to tell me. But I want to make our name mean something. I want to hear, I want to bear a good image of my parents. I want to live out good exemplification so that when people see me, they see my parents behind me. And then therefore my parents have good reputation because I'm upholding good reputation. I want my family to mean something. And in the same way, I want my earthly family to mean something. How much more should I want my heavenly father to mean something? Because he bought you back. He renewed you. He gave you a new name. He gave you new clothes, the armor of God. He gave you all these things. And because of this, there should be nothing holding you back from saying, I want my father to have good reputation on this earth. I want to exemplify everything that my father is. So therefore, when someone looks at me, they aren't looking at me. They're looking at him. They're looking at his glory upon me. You see, uh, initially, when you start doing this and you start exemplifying, there's going to be a lot of times where you're going to mess up. And you're going to fall and you're going to stumble and you're not going to do the right thing. And that's okay because we're falling we're people, we're falling humanity. But the thing is, is what more than exemplifying grace and a merciful God than when you fall than to get back up? When you see somebody stumble, how much more could you show God's grace if you're there when they stumble? Not condemning, but helping them back up and leading them on the pathway again. I fall every day. Every day I mess up. To the point where I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) To the point where I have no idea. No, I, I have an idea. I don't deserve to be up here. There's no thing in me that deserves to be talking to you guys right now. That deserves to be reading this word. That deserves to be getting up and going to church on Sundays. There's nothing in me that deserves it. But thank God that it's not about what I deserve. But it's because He is that good. That he's like, I don't want to just make people to reflect me. I want to make people to reflect me in a powerful way. Because he could have just made people to say yes to everything he does, to walk like robots. But he says, no, I want them to choose me. How much more powerful that we get to choose God. That we get to choose to have a relationship with him, choose to surrender to him, choose to reflect him. And so the last point I want to touch on is we are called to love and be loved. And so how we bear the image of God is having the attributes of God. And God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. So therefore, we must love. It says that scripture where I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but I apologize. But it says, you know, all these things, even if I go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but don't love, I am nothing. Even if I do all these things in the name of God, but never once exemplify who God is, I have done nothing with my life. So if you are in the church every Sunday, working on the ministry team, working in, you know, on the praise team, whatever it may be. And if you're doing on this, but not once exemplifying the love of God, you might as well not be doing any of it. Because it's not worth not knowing the love of God to do the work of God. Because it's the foundation of everything. We are called to love. And it says in 1 Corinthians nine twenty to 23. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. It's first Corinthians nine twenty to 23. It says to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. This is Paul talking to those under the law. I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And so, what we do a lot of times as the church and as Christians and as whatever it may be, what we do is... We get in good standing with God and we say, see where we are to the broken. They should come to us. See where I am. See how I'm acting. Come to me. But the Bible says is we're supposed to go to them. We're supposed to see where they are and run after them. Because it's not about entitlement. The only thing I'm entitled to is suffering and pain and hell and everything. Luckily, it's not about what I'm entitled to. But it's about what God graciously gave me. And that he loves me. And so when I see somebody hurting, I don't know why, but initially I think, well, they should obviously see me and get so convicted that they should want to know Jesus, right? I mean, they should see just how I act and how I lift my hands during worship. And automatically, they should just be so overwhelmed with conviction that they just love Jesus automatically. Instead of seeing them hurting, broken, being so overwhelmed with the love of God and chasing them down and going to where they are, that's what Jesus did. You know, the, the, the healed don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. And so Jesus chased after those that he known, he knew needed him. And those that thought they didn't need him were like the Pharisees. So you're playing one or two roles in this. And think about the story of the prodigal son. The father didn't wait for the prodigal son to get, to the, get right in front of him and say, Man, you really messed up, didn't you? So thankful that I am here to embrace you once again come into my home and let me just condemn you all the more. No, he saw him a long way off and he chased him down. He ran to him, even though he'd made mistakes. He was like, no, I want my son back in my house. I want my son back to partake in what is rightfully his and what is rightfully mine. And so he chased him down. So in the same way, if you love someone run after them, pursue them, don't just stand on the sidelines watching God does do what He does, but want to be a part of it. Because He wants you a part of it. He wants to invite you in. And being at college, and uh, seeing all these different types of people from all walks of life, and I'm sure they're looking at me too and being like, that's a weird guy. But one, uh, this is a completely off sidebar, but... If anybody knows where a cheap Batman costume is, I want it and I will buy it. All amount of money. Because I want to just walk into a classroom with a Batman costume on. That would be so cool. That's how weird I am, though, to preface. I just really want to do that. And so I'm seeing all these people around campus. None of them probably have that thought. So they're not as weird as me. But they're all like just different walks of life in different places in different stages and all these things. And, and it's really easy to condemn them. Because so I'm like, man, like, at least I'm not doing that. Right? If I walk into class with a Batman costume, a lot of people are going to say that. I might not be great, but at least I'm not that guy. <laughs> but all these people, and I'm just thinking, man, like, that's crazy. And that's, and, but every morning I wake up and I'm like, God, give me your heartbeat. Give me your eyes to see the things that you see the way you see them. Give me all these things so I can understand. And when I pray that and when I live that out and I see all these people in all these walks of life, my heart is filled with compassion. Because God loves these people each individually immensely in their purpose, in their walks of life, and what, what brought them to GCU. He knows all of it, knows the number of hairs on their head, all these things he's mapped out purposefully. And he loves them. And if I understand that, if I see it like he sees it, if I bear the image that he has placed before me, there's nothing in me that could condemn these people because I know how broken I am in, in return. And it's amazing to be on this campus with so many different people because in that setting, in that place, I know that I am no different. I know that nothing sets me apart besides the same thing that would set them apart with God. And so it's this love that God places over me. It's the image of God, of Jesus, washing his disciples' feet. The position of the divinity coming down to us. Not so that we can diminish it, but so that we can then reflect it. A lot of people say relationship over religion. And that takes out the reverence. It is about relationship, but you should never diminish the reverence that we have for God. He is still God. He is still big. He is still powerful. He is still the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nothing was diminished when we get from the last book of the Old Testament to Matthew. I said the last book of the Old Testament because I don't actually know what it is right now, and I apologize. It's what? Malachi. Malachi to Matthew. i to take that. I knew that. <laughs> no, thank you. There, Nothing was diminished from God. Nothing's ever diminished from God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 100% God, every single day, even at our worst. We bear the image of that God. That's responsibility. That's not something we take lightly. That's something we pick up daily, saying, God, how can I reflect you more today? How can I be more like you today? How can I draw near to you today and you draw near to me as a promise made in the word? All these things are coming from a foundation of love for God. It all comes down to loving God. And so, I know that was kind of short today. But I want to end just with a statement. We're going to come up and have a time of worship. And a time of an an altar call. And you just can come if you have in prayer. uh, Or anything you want to kind of just surrender to God. There's been a lot of moments over these last few weeks. Where I've been broken in the presence of God because I have friends and I'll be connected to people and I will mess up and I'll be talking to my family and I'll mess up and I'll forget to reach out and I'll mess up. And every time I get into the position where I'm face down in the presence of God and he says, it's okay. He says, I forgive you. He says, there is grace extended to you. And he picks me back up and it is incredible that that's the God we serve not a God that's far off not a God that asks for works but a God that asks for faith a God that asks for connection so it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up it doesn't matter how many times you've walked away all that matters is that right now in this moment you decide I want to reflect God and in my tomorrow you might mess up again but make that decision tomorrow again I will reflect God the next day I will reflect God When something is told to me that doesn't line up with what I want, when someone comes to me and rebukes me or hurts me, I will reflect God. When that job doesn't line up exactly how you want it to, I will reflect God. When a relationship ends and you don't want it to, I will reflect God. In all given situations, it is not something that is wrong for us to walk through or a hardship. It's an opportunity to reflect God. It's an opportunity to go from glory to glory. And to know that his ways are harder than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we have unbelief, but he meets us there. And he helps our unbelief. And he does what only he can do. So I want to close this out in prayer and surrender. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you that you are bigger than you could e- we could ever imagine. In every fathom, God, you are bigger. You are better. You are glorious, God. We are in awe of who you are. And although we are not perfect, God, you are perfect in all ways. And we love you. We want to be like you. We look to the cross and see the story of grace. And we want to live our lives reflecting on that. God, we ask you to meet us here today. On Sunday morning, God, we ask you to meet us here and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. We thank you, God. We praise you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we want to
1: open up the altars and invite you down to pray. if that's something you desire prayer maybe it's uh something that god's been putting on your heart the holy spirit's just been speaking to you during this during this time of of word from micah and we just appreciate him so much for bringing the word but maybe maybe you're dealing with something with your family or situation or circumstance whatever that is but as we stand and we sing if that's you just make your way forward to this altar and these young men are going to join in prayer with you and believe god for great things so why don't you just go ahead and stand with us and if that's you you need to respond today and you want to press into these altars just come on and do that and I'll let these, let these young men pray for you And believe God for a miracle for you today Because how many knows there's a miracle right there Why don't you just close your eyes and say God I thank you Lord that you are good You're working on my behalf for your perfect will God and today Lord we respond to you God we hear your voice God we accept Lord what you have for us God, God because we want what you have for us Lord have your way in our lives God we thank you Jesus God we love you Lord We thank you God for who you are Thank you.
2: You give hope, you restore, every heart that is broken, your
1: your voice and declare, who oh, all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry,
2: these bones will sing, great. Hey. Hey. you all. Oh, oh, oh. for all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will
1: To the King, He's worthy. We bless you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. He's a great God. We believe that. If we worship you, Jesus. Honor you today. We'll praise God to Him. He's worthy to be praised in this place. As we, live, as we leave this place today, go with a shout, go with the praise. Give God the glory He deserves. Thank Him today. Come on, if that's you, lift the praise. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Obrigado.